Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right, let me pray and then we'll move forward. So, Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your word, that we have your word um, readily and easily accessible. And I pray that we won't take it for granted. But as we spend this time in your word together today, that we will hear your voice speaking to us, that we will be changed forever through an encounter with you, that you would reveal your truth uh, to us, that we would hear what you're saying to the people that it was first written to, and we would learn what you're saying to us in this moment. Thank you, God, that you transcend time and space. Thank you that your love endures forever. Amen. Amen. What is the best gift that you've ever received? After that, I want a camel. Camels, well, we're trying to get a dog and that's proving near impossible. So what's the best gift that you've ever received? Or maybe the best gift that you have ever given? I don't know, some people, like, some people are just awesome gift givers and just always get it right. One, um, a couple of years ago, Simon and I showed up to church wearing the same shirt. I don't know if you remember that, but we've both retired that shirt. I actually think he doesn't wear that brand of shirt anymore, just so there's no crossover possible. Um, but what's, well, maybe not worse, uh, many years ago, one Christmas, we actually gave each other the same shirt. I don't know if that's good or not. Uh, well, we've both got good taste. I'm sure that's what that means. It's true. No? Um, I, I defer gift giving to my wife. Uh, I call her the gift whisperer because I learned after many years, we'd go out gift shopping for somebody, for, for, you know, for family, for friends. Um, and I don't know if this is your experience or not, but if you go gift shopping with your wife and suggesting to be like, how about this? How about that? What about this? I don't suggest anymore. Because I know when she finds exactly what she thinks will be the perfect gift, it will be. She's, she's just excellent at it. She just has that. So I don't even suggest. I just wait until she says, what do you think of this? I'm like, that is awesome. Let's get that. Um, it just saves us a whole lot of time and makes it easier for everybody, doesn't it? <laughs> it works. It works well. I love gift giving and I love, I love getting gifts. And it doesn't have to be an elaborate gift. I remember one time uh, when we were at uh, BSSM, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, and we're sitting there in class. I don't know if the speaker talked about coffee or something, and then all of a sudden there was a tap on my shoulder, and so I don't even know who it was. Somebody I don't even know from a couple of rows behind me had bought me a coffee, and it was long black, so it was even the right coffee, and then passed it forward. I was like, I felt so loved. You'd feel loved, wouldn't you? Someone bought you coffee? <laughs> if it was a latte, sure. Um, so it doesn't have to be an elaborate gift to make you feel special, does it? Is there anybody that doesn't like receiving gifts? Is there anybody that's like, oh, whatever? Some of us. <laughs> Some of us. And I, I, I think with, with gifts, gifts reveal both the, 
the giver and the receiver. They reveal something of the relationship. You, I mean, you can get a gift from a complete stranger and it hits the mark and you feel special, but you might also be a little bit weirded out. Or you can receive a shirt from your brother and it's the same one that you bought him and there's some humour about that and some memories about that, but there's some kind of special connection. Or you get a gift from your spouse or your child or your parent and it just says, I know you and I see you. And so it's not just every time you see that gift, you remember you go back to that relationship. It's not just about the object, but it's about the memory, it's about the time together, and it's about the relationship that you have with that person. The reason I'm talking about gifts is when I read this story, this, so there's two kind of stories that tie together here, two encounters that Jesus had with different people. Um, and in the first one, with Jesus and the people, the parents bringing the children to Jesus that he would bless them, um, they are both um, giving a gift and looking to receive from Jesus. Um, here's what I mean. So people were bringing little children to Jesus. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Now, um, your translation might put it slightly differently, but where it says people were bringing, um, it can also be translated people were offering their children to Jesus. And it's the same word, it's something in Greek, it's something like prosferu or something, where it's the same word when um, Jesus commands people to go up to the temple and they offer a gift um, in accordance with the law so that they can receive the ritual cleansing from the priests. That word offer is the same word here. Um, and it's used throughout the New Testament as well. So it's not just, oh, come on, kids, we're going to see the latest speaker, let's go and check him out. It's actually, Jesus, here are my children that you would bless them. It's an intentional act that they're offering their children to Jesus as a gift to him, but they would also receive from him. So it's more, way more profound than just the fact that they are bringing the children to check Jesus out. And so they want Jesus to have him touch them. Keep in mind, at this time, child mortality was super high. Six out of 10 kids didn't make it past the age of 10. So the idea is that Jesus, as uh, not only as rabbi, as teacher, but also the healer and the um, one who the, that many saw as the Messiah in this day and age, was the one that could actually keep their children alive. And so it's not just a, um, it's not just a, a kind gesture that, oh, let's go and get blessed by the good teacher that, you know, we can say we saw Jesus and he touched our kids and around. No, it's actually, this is a life and death situation for some of these parents. That they would actually bring their kids, Jesus, touch our children, and in doing so, we pray that they would actually live past the age of 10. Like, I can't even get my head in that kind of space to go, this is a life and death matter. And the disciples are pushing them away. They're like, the disciples are like, this is not the kind of crowd that Jesus wants to attract. And Jesus says, this is exactly the kind of crowd that I want to have come to me. Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. How does a little child enter the kingdom of God? Well, with complete not complete abandon, but complete, um, no kind of foregone conclusions. If you think about adults, we like to reason things out. We like to decide 
who, what, where, when, why, how. We want to have all the information, all the statistics before we make an informed decision. Not kids. Generally speaking, kids are like, that looks awesome. Let's do that. They're not reasoning it out. They're not trying to argue it through and go, well, is this actually going to work out? You know, can I afford this? Can I do it? What is this going to look like to the people around me? Kids are in wholeheartedly and thoroughly. They don't tend to make the same presumptions. They don't tend to argue every aspect and decide whether or not it's going to be the right thing in the end. The children just want to be a part of it. So uh, we, went, we went to the Halls Gap Zoo on Wednesday. And quite a few places there's barriers where you can't go. And there's a sign on the barrier that says, do not climb over this road. And I had a conversation with one of my children about how every time we see that sign, we want to climb the rope. <laughs> but we didn't because we obeyed the sign. We did the right thing. But as soon as the sign says, do not, we're like, ah, is that a challenge? <laughs> but we didn't. We were obedient. So children want in. Children want to move forward. Children want to go up. They want to be connected. They want to be deep in relationship and here Jesus is with the children he put his hands on them and he blessed them and he blessed them I love that so Jesus rebukes the disciples the disciples learn from this in this moment so it's not only this encounter that Jesus has with the parents and the children but all the, also the disciples the disciples um, understanding the disciples uh, perception of who Jesus is and what he's like and what his ministry looks like is constantly being reshaped and redefined as they go along in his relationship with them. And so for him, when the kids are coming to him, the disciples once again see a new element, a new side to Jesus that he would actually welcome the children to be a part of the crowd with him, that he's not going to push them away. And so we have the children coming up being blessed by Jesus. We have the parents bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed. We have this sense of community and connection and belonging between Jesus, the parents, and the children. And then in contrast, in some contrast, we have the rich young man and that uh, beautiful story told by Kate um, in the imagery that we have there. But we have the rich young man who uh, comes up to Jesus. He runs up enthusiastically, verse 17. He runs up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. This all, I don't know about you, but I read that for a very long time. And I'm like, why does Jesus say that? Like, Jesus is God. Why does he actually say, why do you call me good? So there's a couple of different aspects. It was, common, um, it was a common teaching uh, approach in those days that if you went up to a teacher, um, a rabbi, and you praised them, so the man comes up and says, good teacher. It's not a common phrase that we have in the Gospels. But he says this to Jesus. He says, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Uh, the why do you call me good, the kind of uh, pushing away the praise is a common practice for the teachers that they wouldn't actually receive the praise, they didn't want to be seen as receiving this praise and perhaps making themselves to be better than anybody else, they would say, oh, don't call me good, I'm not really that good. 
So Jesus perhaps starts down a consistent line of approach, a consistent practice for what teachers did in that day, but he's also in this moment challenging the man and his perceptions of who he's actually talking to. Because in this moment, the young man comes up to him and talks to him as just another teacher of the law. But Jesus is God. And he's helping to reframe the man in his perception and his idea of who he's talking to and the conversation, setting up the conversation that they were about to have. And Jesus answers the question from the teacher, from the young man. He says, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Now we, uh, you can go back, uh, you can read all those, uh, they're in the top ten, they're in Exodus 20, and they're the second half of the command, the top command, the ten commandments, I should stop calling them top ten, the ten commandments, in order, except for honour your father and mother. So Jesus goes through, do not murder, so through uh, all those, do not murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony, defraud. They are all in order as you would have them in the Ten Commandments. And then he tacks on, honour your father and mother, which is actually the end of the first half of the Ten Commandments, and only half the command, because what's the rest of the command that God gives to Moses and the people of Israel? Honour your mother and father that it may go well with you in the land in which you live. So Jesus highlights half the commands. What's interesting is that these are all external behaviours. This is all the ways to behave in the Ten Commandments. What Jesus doesn't quote is the first few commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love the Lord your God is one. Um, you shall have no other idols. You shall worship no other God. He doesn't highlight the issues of the heart about what you believe. He highlights what, how you behave. Does that make sense? And so the man says, awesome, Jesus, I've done all that. Tick, tick, tick. I've never murdered anybody. I have not committed adultery. I haven't stolen from anybody. I haven't lied. I haven't defrauded anybody. I've honoured mum and dad. I have done everything you just said. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think that's one of the punchiest verses in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And one thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. So here we have the parents bringing the kids to Jesus and saying, Jesus, will you please touch our children? Will you bless them? Will you keep them safe? Will you keep them alive? Can they receive from you? And Jesus says, awesome. Let the little children come to me. He hugs them. He lays hands on them, and he sends them on their way, blessed. And then runs up this rich young man who has it all together. Now, for the listeners, for those listening to the Gospel of Mark, for the first century audience, their general perception of rich people was not high. If you're rich, you did something wrong to get rich. You probably took it from somebody else. And as Kate beautifully illustrated in that video, being rich doesn't mean that you enter the kingdom of heaven. Neither does being poor mean that you enter the kingdom of heaven. But this man, his faith was in his money, was in his stuff. And so Jesus, in this conversation with him, highlights, okay, you've, 
You've ticked all the boxes. You're behaving all the right ways. But your faith is actually in yourself and in your belongings. Not in the Lord your God who is one. And so Jesus pushes back on him and challenges him in this regard. And then he goes on and he has a conversation with the disciples. He looks around at his disciples in verse 23 and says, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. They're like, what? If, if the rich can't make it enter, in, into, in, enter into heaven, who can? Because their idea, if you're rich, you've, actually done, you've probably done something right. You must have done something right. So there's this mixed perception that while some saw the rich as being um, the way that they've got rich was probably through bad ways, that they've actually taken from the poor to get to the place where they are. The disciples are like, how, how then? If, it's, if the rich cannot enter the kingdom of God, who can? And Jesus addresses the disciples as children. Now, I haven't looked it up. It's not often that he addresses the disciples as children. But this is one of the few times he says, children. Keep in mind the encounter he's just had with the little children coming for a blessing. And he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you might have heard a story about there being um, a gate called the eye, um, the eye of the needle and that a camel would have to go down on its knees in order to get through the, the gate. Have you heard that story? Some of you, yes, some no. All right, well, even if you have, just ignore it. It's all made up. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually not even a thing. All right? Because if, if, as soon as we buy into that story, so the idea, um, there's two ideas. There's one that says there's a gate in the city of Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle, and it wasn't very big. And the other one is that in the large city gates, they would have a smaller door, kind of like you get in some sheds. You might have a massive door, but you don't open the door just to walk through. You open the smaller door to walk through. And the idea is that one, there's some of these gates would have a smaller door called the eye of the needle and that a camel or some other beast would have to kind of get down on its knees in order to be able to fit through the eye of the needle. It's all made up. It's not a thing. And as soon as we do that and making up those stories or getting a hold of those stories and saying, oh, it's actually really hard, but you know, there's Jesus is pointing to this eye of the needle and saying, well, look, it's really hard for the camel. No, because it might be really hard if that was true, but it would still be possible. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not really hard. It's impossible. You can't get the camel through the eye of the needle. It's a really big thing trying to fit through a really small thing. It's impossible. There's another version from a previous a, um, a rabbinic tradition before Jesus walked around that um, talked about an elephant through the eye of the needle, which I think is even funnier than a camel through the eye of the needle. Um, and Jesus looks at them in verse 27 and he says, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter says to him, We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. We've left everything. We don't have anything left. It's all with you. We are all in with you. And keep in mind, this is, this is the heart set. This is, this is the mind, the attitude that the children were coming to Jesus with. It was this kind of all or nothing that the parents brought the children to Jesus with. It's all or nothing. Like if we don't receive from Jesus, we, 
We might lose our kids. We might have nothing. And the disciples, the adults are trying to reason out, going, okay, well, if it's not stuff, if it's not the riches that get me into the kingdom of heaven, then what's going to get me into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, well, with God, all things are possible. You try with man, with man's stuff, with man's ideas, with man's possessions, with man's ways. It's impossible. You cannot do it. But with God, all things are possible. The thing that stands out to me in this and flows back to, to what the story, the uh, conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees earlier in chapter 10 when they were talking about marriage and divorce is the role, um, the role of parents. This will sound kind of obvious probably. I don't know. I'll say it and then I'll fix it. The role of parents in the raising of their children and then in the way of following Jesus. Here, let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles there. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The, now that's called the Shema, that's part of the Shema, which is a, a daily or more often, a few times a day, the prayer that uh, the Jews will pray. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So this is uh, Moses giving the law of God to the people of God, to Israel. And we've heard this before. We've talked about this when we've talked about the importance of children's ministry, the importance of discipleship to the young people. And we've highlighted this verse and the need to be actually ministering to children and also to ministering to families, to be working with families to uh, help parents raise their children and to disciple their children in the ways of God. Now, the, Jesus knew this command. His disciples would have known this command. The parents, the Jewish parents bringing their kids up to be blessed by Jesus would have known this. They would have been raising their kids with this idea. The whole idea behind this is that the law and the command of God is so pervasive in your life that it's everywhere in your home. You have it on your body. You are talking about it constantly. And so the kids that the parents are bringing up with this encounter with Jesus, the kids wouldn't have, this wouldn't have been the first time that they would have heard about Jesus or this wouldn't have been their first exposure to the law of God. This is what they would have been raised with. And the rich young man that runs up to Jesus and is like, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wouldn't have been disconnected from all these laws. As Jesus lists off the top ten commandments or some of the ten commandments and, he's, and the man says, yes, I've kept all them. And the only way he knows he's kept them is because he knows them to begin with. And all of it starts with the parents raising their children in the ways of God, with the parents teaching their children the commands of God. Verse 20 in chapter 6, uh, Deuteronomy 6, says, In the future when your son asks you, 
What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised an oath on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as it is the case today. And if we're careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. When the, the, my, preparing for today, my heart was... My heart was heavy in terms of how we're actually, um, how we're raising children, and like that seems more and more difficult as we go along, how we're actually raising and discipling parents to raise and disciple their children. And, let me, and part of the conversation that we've had through the whole Daring cohort, which was the start of last year, um, and the conversations we've had with Simon and Linda and Kate, and myself, and then what we've done with the team throughout Daring Cohort this year and launching River Kids and River Youth. It's not just about a program we run on a Friday night or on a Sunday morning. It's about us working with the families and discipling their children so that they can um, know the Lord and love the Lord for themselves. Is the importance that we have in actually helping and equipping and encouraging parents to disciple their children. And I know that that's not necessarily easy and it's challenging. And I think especially in this lockdown, in this season, we have more separation and disconnection and people are tired and people are weary and families are struggling on so many levels. But the primary source of discipleship for children comes from the parents because the parents are actually the ones that raise the children in the ways that they should go it's the, the the children learn from the people that they spend most of the time with uh, jewish tradition um the kids would be around the mum the most the dad would be off working it would be mum that would be home with the kids and then they get to the age of the 13 and they would have ceremony and rituals so the boys become um, young men and spend more time with the dads and with the mums and the, the girls at home um, learn more and more from the mums and what it is to... They both kind of grow up into that time learning what it is to run the home. But this whole time, they're coming under this kind of instruction that we see in Deuteronomy 6, that the commands of God are talked about and told and taught and lived out on repeat day after day and so when the children hear it from a, a rabbi or a teacher some other time they're not just coming to sunday school on a sunday and that's the only time they're hearing about it they're hearing day after day from their parents at home and why it's so every time so that the kids will ask why are we talking about this why are we talking about these commands oh this is a reminder of god who brought us out of slavery this is a reminder of god who brought us out of egypt The kids just wanted to be with Jesus. The parents just wanted their kids to be with Jesus. The rich young ruler thought following the rules was all it was meant to be about, but it's not about following all the rules if we don't actually have a connection with the one 
who is life and who gives us eternal life. And Jesus says, with, with, with man it's impossible to have eternal life. With God it is possible. And so I was actually in the home. So this feels, I know this is really messy at the moment. It's actually in the home that kids get to experience what it is to become disciples of God in the highs and the lows, in the messiness, in the beauty, in the pain, in the peace, in all of that. It's actually with the parents living it out day after day, week after week, year after year, even when it's boring, even when it seems like we've been over this time and time again, even when it's tedious, even when we're in lockdown for months on end, it's in the home that children learn these things and take them into their hearts and learn what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm, and I'm excited because that's one of the conversations that we have with the River Kids and the River Youth team is that it's not just about, as I've said, it's not just about having the kids coming along to a program and having some fun for a while. It's about connecting with the family as a whole and helping them to raise followers of Jesus. This is, um, I really feel this at the moment and probably I'm, I'm a dad, I have four kids, my kids are growing up fast. Annabelle, our eldest, is in year 12 next year and after that probably most likely move out and go off to university somewhere. Like how do you get from having little babies to your children moving out? Like you know, that expression, people say, blink and you miss it. I've tried not to blink as a parent because it's fast. I blinked. I've tried not to, love, but thank you. Gracious. But I have an ongoing conversation with the Lord. I don't think I've ever talked about this before. My ongoing conversation with the Lord is, at different times it's better than others, but something along the lines of, Lord, help me not mess my children up. <clears throat> Sorry. Because at the moment, to an extent, their faith is my responsibility. Our responsibility as parents. But I know that they're not home forever and I'll still be dad and I'll still be mum. And I say to them, I don't care what you do. I don't care where you are. But it's Jesus first. I haven't prayed at home and I haven't read my Bible at home just to show off to my kids, but I want them to see the greatest gift that I can give them. Sorry, I didn't think it would go like this. The rich young ruler missed out because he was just ticking the boxes. And I don't know why Jesus finished off the commands with honour your mum and dad. And he said, I've done all that, Lord. But somewhere along the line, he missed what it is to actually be in complete, devoted, undying relationship 
with the Lord our God who is one. I want to be like the parents that are just ushering their kids, offering their kids to Jesus. Day after day. There are times, look, I know I'm, I'm not, you know I'm not perfect, but there are times that I threaten my children that they will meet Jesus sooner rather than later if they keep going the way they're going. Don't doubt it. Do not doubt it. They push my buttons. I've got death. I give death stares. I get death stares. I give death whispers. I and every now and then I lose it and give what for. I should have just started with this. But my goal is that they see Jesus in me. Well, I've completely messed that up, so let's stand and pray. I hope you got something from that. So Jesus... Can you just put your hands out? Even if you're watching online, just put your hands out. Just like kids coming to their father, running to their father, saying, Father God, we love you. Jesus, we devote ourselves to you. We come as little children. Thank you that you first loved us, that you paid the price through your death and your resurrection. that we could have eternal life with you. Lord, no matter how old we are, how young we might be in this room watching online, whenever we hear this, I pray that we would let go of anything that holds us back from being completely devoted to you. Help us, God, to not tick the boxes. Help us not to be rule followers, but relationship builders. Help us to come to you, Jesus, like little children, full of wonder and delight and joy, being inquisitive and questioning, wondering. We thank you, God, that you are our perfect loving Father. And we come to you now.